Well, everybody loves a good parable, right? They're effective, they're engaging, they have sort of an eternal quality, and, and they've just been a, such a popular form that uh, parables were, were used often before the time of Jesus, and they're still popular today, particularly in business-related books for some reason. I don't know what that says about managers, that they, they need their information conveyed to them in the form of a parable, but about a third of all of the recorded teachings of Jesus are parables, and they're some of our favorite teachings. I, I know that when I was a, a, a kid and I would occasionally go to church, the things that still stick with me, the sermons I still remember today, or at least the fragments I still remember today, are the ones that were based on, on parables. Parables stick with us because we just love stories. We were, we were made to kind of appreciate uh, and, and think in terms of stories, and most of the parables are stories, although some are very, very short. Technically, parables are actually a figure of speech in which two things are being compared. They don't have to be a story. They just usually are. And the parables of Jesus are short, fictional, either stories or situations that are designed to to teach us a a deep spiritual truth, right, or to, to answer some question by comparing something people would have understood in that day with this more complicated thing they needed to understand. Jesus used parables for a couple reasons. One was, of course, to illustrate those complex truths, as I said, but the other is actually to hide those truths from people who didn't want to hear them. And this spring, we're going to be looking at 10 different parables of Jesus and what they mean for our lives today in 2019. Neil and Philip each shared one while I was traveling, so this is my first chance to to dig into parables, so I'm excited about that. And today we're actually, uh, for those who like deals, it's a buy one, get one. So it's a two-for-one deal on parables today, because we're looking at two that are very, very short and are designed to work as a pair to help us understand the kingdom of heaven. And they are found in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now these two parables are very similar in structure, they're similar in phrasing, and that similarity is there to reinforce their main point. But we also must note they are slightly different, and that is intentional because it helps clarify that point. What is that main point? What's the bottom line? Recognize the treasure before you and sell everything for it. Now, there is a clear emphasis on the surpassing value of God's kingdom. Right? The first parable compares the kingdom of heaven, by which we mean God's kingdom that was inaugurated in Jesus Christ, and we'll talk about that a little bit as we go through the morning, compares God's kingdom to a hidden treasure that is found buried in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This is a comparison that would have made sense to first century listeners because there were no commercial banks or safe deposit boxes back then. 
And so consequently, as kingdoms and empires flowed back and forth across the land of Israel, right, the Canaanites, the Israelites, the Philistines, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, and everybody in between. If you wanted to protect your valuables from an invading army, you would go and bury them on your property, and then if you lived to collect them, you would dig them up when it was safe to do so. But if the owner were killed in the evasion, the land was going to change hands probably multiple times over years and decades and centuries until you would wind up with a present owner who had no idea that anything was buried on that land and probably had no relationship to the original owner. And so to stumble across such a treasure while you're digging and farming in a field would be incredibly rare, but it was not outside the possible understanding and experience of the people of that time. And here is where I must say, if this parable gives you a little bit of trouble embracing, you need to turn off your 21st century sensibilities. Because under rabbinical law, if you found a treasure in someone else's field, you didn't have to tell the landowner about it as long as you did not pick the treasure up out of the ground. Now, if you picked it up out of the ground, you were obligated to give it to the landowner. But if you did not, if you just covered it back up, you were in the good by the ethics of the day. So don't think about the ethical implications of this parable. I know it's tempting. There were no ethical implications of this parable 20 centuries ago. So if we try to superimpose our modern ethics on this parable, we miss the point completely. So what's the point? The point is that there was this massive and precious treasure right there in the field all along, just waiting to be discovered. And it was found by accident, but the one who found it recognized it for what it was and literally traded every possession he owned for a much, much greater treasure, far beyond what he had to give up to get it. The second parable compares the kingdom of heaven to its perfect and precious pearl that is being actively looked for, sought after, by an expert dealer in pearls. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. What's the point here? That a perfect treasure was waiting for the person who was out actively looking for it. And when that individual recognized the treasure for what it was, he literally traded everything he had in order to possess that perfect treasure. Now the two parables clearly differ in that one individual was actively seeking the treasure while the other just stumbled across it. And life works like that. Because likewise, we will see some people who are actively seeking God for many years, going down many different roads and paths to try to find God. While others just seem to stumble across Him in a great moment of clarity or need or brokenness. It doesn't matter how people find God. The commonality in these two parables is in their recognition of the surpassing value of the treasure that they have encountered and their joyful eagerness to trade everything to get it. 
That surpassing and perfect treasure is the kingdom of heaven. And God's kingdom truly is of surpassing value. The kingdom of heaven was inaugurated when Jesus began preaching and teaching nearly 2,000 years ago. Matthew 4.17 reports, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven started small, just a handful of people. But it continues to grow to this day. It is present everywhere that Jesus is embraced as Lord and Savior. And the kingdom is about teaching the truth. It is about the healing and restoration of mankind. It is about the proclamation of the gospel of peace and reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. And the kingdom of heaven is where we humans, in all of our foolish, sinful, prideful rebellion against God's loving will and desire for our lives, it is where we find forgiveness the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. People can never buy their way or earn their way into the kingdom of heaven because God is perfect in His goodness, in His holiness, in His righteousness. And no matter how hard we try or no matter how hard we, we work to discipline ourselves, we never will be perfect. And left to our own devices... Even our best intentions, right? Our best good deeds often have questionable motivations behind them. Things like, okay, how can I get some, some applause or some, some recognition, promotion, popularity or acceptance? And yet God in His steadfast love, in His mercy, in His unimaginable grace, nonetheless invites each of us into His kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. God sent His Son into the world to live the perfect life that we can't and to be the innocent sacrifice for our sins that we so desperately need to pay the penalty, to pay the bill for our lifetime of sinning. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12-14 through 14 explains, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This is the kingdom of heaven. Right? When we believe in Jesus Christ and embrace him as Lord and Savior, we, we enter into that kingdom. We gain the benefit of that once for all sacrifice that he made for us. That sacrifice on the cross that washes away all of our guilt and all of our shame and restores us to a fellowship and a friendship with God. In the kingdom of heaven, all of our sins, all of our rebellion are completely, not just forgiven, but forgotten by God. In the kingdom of heaven, we enjoy forgiveness. We experience wholeness and healing in the kingdom. In the kingdom, we are restored to relationship with God, the relationship we were made to have. And we're going to enjoy that relationship forever when we are in the kingdom. In the kingdom of heaven, God is with us every moment of every day here on earth. And when we die, we will be in his presence forever, free of all sadness and suffering and grief. The kingdom of heaven means salvation on the one hand, forgiveness and eternal life. And it means sanctification on the other hand, an ongoing life transformation that makes us more and more like Jesus himself. 
In the kingdom of heaven, we find friendship with God. We are lovingly adopted as his sons and daughters. In the kingdom of heaven, we enjoy peace with God. There is a loving welcome and an embrace by our Father in heaven. And in the kingdom, we have the ability to love and be loved by our brothers and sisters in Christ. The kingdom of heaven is the greatest, most life-transforming treasure that we could ever find and enjoy. Everyday, ordinary life, enjoying and serving God's kingdom and experiencing his pleasure and friendship and living within his will and plan for human flourishing are a far greater treasure than all of the stocks and all of the bonds and the IRAs and the 401ks and the annuities and the pensions and the careers and the awards and the contracts and the jackpots that we could ever earn or win. The kingdom of heaven is a treasure we can enjoy from the moment we enter by faith until the end of time and beyond. So my friends, I must ask you, have you truly recognized this treasure before you? Like the man in the field or the pearl merchant, do you really understand and appreciate what God has placed right before you in his kingdom? First and foremost, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior so that you have entered into his kingdom? Because that is the single most important decision you will ever make. It is literally the difference between eternal life in the presence of God and eternal condemnation separated from him. Romans 10.9 promises, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Faith in Christ is the difference between having God with you every day of your life or continuing to stand opposed to God every day. So I cannot urge you strongly enough to embrace Jesus Christ because God's kingdom is open before you. You are invited in. You don't have to pay anything to enter because Jesus already paid it for you. But you must choose to enter by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you've already made that decision, you've embraced Jesus as your Lord and Savior, whether that was one minute ago or 70 years ago, do you you really appreciate that treasure that's lying before you? The treasure of God's kingdom. Have you contemplated this incredible reality of God as your father and Jesus as your adopted brother? of the Spirit of God living within you and transforming you to become like Jesus, of God's presence in your life through every stormy season you go through, of the freedom that you have to speak with the Creator of the universe and to to know that He wants you to speak with Him and to, to just share everything that's on your heart, good and bad, and that He is listening the treasure of the love and joy of deep fellowship and friendship in the Lord with other believers? Have you embraced this treasure and contemplated this treasure, the fact that your life has meaning and purpose and significance that's about so much more than schoolwork or a job or social standing or bank balance, but is about God's mission to seek and save the lost? We spend our lives 
chasing the temporary or the false treasures of fame and fortune, comfort, pleasure, and status. But we have all the fame we need because we are known and loved by God. We have all the fortune we could ever want because Christ Jesus is our treasure. We have all the comfort we could ever ask for and will forevermore because God's Spirit comforts us now and God Himself will one day wipe away all our tears. We have pleasure available to us beyond our limited imagination because we enjoy friendship and fellowship with God while doing the good works He prepared for us long before we ever existed. We have all the status we will ever need because we are new creations in Christ. The treasures of the world offer temporary delight, but ultimate dissatisfaction. The treasures of the world simply simply build our appetite for more and more and more. The treasures of the world leave brokenness, loneliness, isolation, sorrow, grief, and pain in their wake. So if you haven't already, recognize the treasure that is before you in God's kingdom and think about that every day. Draw strength and comfort from the reality of the treasure that's right in front of you. But we must note the critical emphasis in both parables, of course, is on selling everything for God's kingdom. Now, what's that mean? To be clear, it's not saying we need to buy our way into God's kingdom. That is not the point. Jesus Christ paid our admission into the kingdom. We enter the kingdom through faith in Christ and nothing more. But here's the thing. If you truly appreciate what we have in Christ, if we, if we truly understand the surpassing treasure of life in the kingdom, we will figuratively sell everything we have to enjoy the kingdom to embrace the kingdom, to serve the kingdom, and to help the kingdom grow because it is an unbelievable thing to be a part of. Verse 44 concludes, And in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. In our joy, we should be willing to sell the earthly treasures of our lives for the sake of this kingdom. And so the question to ask is, what remains for you to sell? Honestly, for most of us, we have had to sell very little to be a part of living life in the kingdom, right? It's not like we're a Christian in North Korea where if you get caught, you're automatically going to a death camp. That's selling something for the kingdom. Very few of us have had to do that. For most of us, though, God is calling us to sell more, much more, for the sake of this treasure that he's laid before us, that we might enjoy it more and more. So what is God calling you to sell? To more fully enjoy and delight in and serve the kingdom of heaven right here on earth? What are you willing to give up for the sake of this treasure that lies before you, the eternal and beautiful pearl that you have received that you possess through Jesus Christ. Do you need to sell, give up, let go of, sign title and ownership over to your time? 
that kind of cuts to the bone for those of us in Northern Virginia, because time is our most precious commodity. Right? We hold on to our time with a death grip because we're like, all right, I give this much time to work and this much time to sitting on I-95 and this much time for this and this much time for that. And so we hold on to that time with a death grip and we, we use phrases to make it clear. Things like me time and my time. Do you need to sign that over and make it God time? I've shared our Five to Thrive model before. Five to Thrive describes five key elements or aspects of Christian discipleship. For 20 centuries, the followers of Jesus Christ have practiced these things because they are what put us in a posture where the Holy Spirit is likely to work in our lives over time to work incredible transformation. Right? And who here doesn't want transformation? There are five elements. Gathering regularly for worship with other Christians. Practicing daily spiritual, personal, personal spiritual habits like Bible reading and prayer and meditation and memorization and giving and fasting. Studying the Bible together in, in a small community. Doing ministry for the kingdom and sharing your hope. If you currently feel stuck in your spiritual life, We could certainly talk about it, but I am willing to bet that you're probably lacking in at least one of these five areas. Because most people I talk with who are stuck spiritually, this is the case. And these five take time. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Right? You don't get anything like this for free. Honestly, the reality is we don't really like to give our time to God, do we? We like to plan to give our time to God. But then we expect to give him our leftovers and scraps and say, God, work wonders in my life with these scraps that I'm willing to give you. Five to Thrive turns that equation upside down. It says, let us commit to regularly turn some of our time over to God, to spend a few hours worshiping with others each week, to spend some time in prayer each day and studying God's word each day. To set aside a couple of hours to study and serve alongside others. To joyfully sell our time, no matter how inconvenient. Anytime a door opens to have a conversation where we can share our hope. So how are you doing with these five to thrive? Do you need to sell some of your time to more fully experience God's kingdom as a follower of Jesus Christ? What about material possessions? Do you need to literally or figuratively sell some of your possessions to to joyfully give financially to support the work of both this local church and ministry to the far ends of the world? Right? I love giving. And at different times in our lives, we have made decisions to dial back some of those lifestyle options available to us, to dial back some of that retirement savings that we thought was such a big deal to better support the work of the kingdom here in Lakeridge and to the far ends of the earth. And we have never, ever regretted those decisions. God loves a cheerful giver. 
And there is nothing, literally nothing, that I can say is more liberating than saying goodbye to stuff which inevitably comes to, to own and control us and to lean into God's love through bold, maybe even irrational giving to God's kingdom. So what might God be calling you to sell, to free yourself from this materialistic culture in which we live so that you can enjoy and serve His kingdom through generous giving? What about dreams for your kids? Right? If you're a parent, we all have dreams for our kids, right? I hope so, anyway. We have dreams for our kids, but most of them revolve around worldly success. We dream about college. We dream about career. We dream about sports and spouses and scholarships. I'm definitely at the point in my kid's age where I'm dreaming about scholarships. The question is, do we need to sell some of those dreams in exchange for kingdom dreams for them? Right? Do we need to put less emphasis on their future sports career or academic accomplishments, good as those are, and put way more emphasis on discipling our kids? Right? The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 6 and Ephesians 6 that as parents, we are the ones most responsible for teaching our children the Word of God and letting them see what real faith looks like as we practice it with them and in their presence. You're going to hear more about that throughout the year as, as our kid men and student ministry begins to ramp up how do we support you parents in doing exactly that. But is it time to spend less time and energy helping them thrive on the field or in the classroom and invest more in helping them thrive in Christ's body? You see, Five to Thrive doesn't have a minimum age requirement. Those same five things are available in this church, through our kid men and our student ministry, and in your homes, no matter what age your children are. So are we prioritizing bringing them to worship regularly? Are we prioritizing building solid personal spiritual habits into their daily lives? Are we prioritizing bringing them to study the Word with others? Are we prioritizing plugging them into service in the kingdom? And are we prioritizing equipping them to share their hope? Fun is good, sports are good, academics are important, but does our schedule and their schedule, what does that communicate to them about the value of the kingdom of heaven? What do you need to sell related to your kids for the sake of the surpassing treasure lying before you and them? What do you need to sell from your career for the sake of the kingdom? Right? Is God calling you to step out of a wonderful career to pursue Christian ministry or missions? Right? Like Rebecca, like Kim and Jason, like Mike, Jenny, like myself. Right? Have you been resisting God's call because it seems too crazy or too dangerous or too foolish? Forget the earthly treasure of a career if God is calling you to a different vocation. Embrace the eternal treasure of God's kingdom if he's calling. Again, I speak from first-hand experience. You will not regret it if that is God's call on your life. Now, most of us, though, are not called to make that change. We're called to use our vocation to work hard for God's glory, to serve God faithfully, 
as we work as teachers and doctors and nurses and office managers and servers and executives and project managers and programmers and drivers and advisors and retailers and soldiers and and oh so many more. And this is a beautiful thing. But are there aspects about your job or your career that you need to sell for the sake of the kingdom? Right? We're we're living in Northern Virginia, which means most of us are type A go-getters. That's just the reality of this area. It draws type A go-getters with a strong tendency towards workaholism. Is God calling you to dial back your career to make more room for the kingdom? Right? Is God calling you to take a pay cut, a different job, reduce hours, sabotage your upward climb? Or even refuse a promotion to better serve and enjoy the kingdom. I suspect that's probably true for many in this community. It was certainly true for me at different times in my previous career. Or have you retired and God is calling you to sell some aspect of your retired life to serve the kingdom, to be a prayer warrior or a tutor or a mentor or a visitor or a teacher or a a ministry worker? We often treat retirement as as the end of serious Christian work. It's just a change of seasons. And I am so grateful for so many of our our super-engaged retirees who lead and who serve and who who care and who develop important ministries and show us how to live a kingdom-focused retirement. So is God calling you to sell something from your retirement for the sake of His kingdom? Jesus issued a challenge, a challenging invitation in Luke 9, 23 to 25. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. This is the invitation that these parables are illustrating. Following Jesus is a 24-7, 365 commitment that involves how we live, how we love, how we study, how we work, how we play, how we shop, how we give, how we worship, and how we rest. And it demands that we give up the comfortable and the familiar that we have grown so attached to for the sake of something greater than we can possibly imagine. So do you recognize the treasure lying before you in the person and the invitation of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of heaven? And if so, have you sold everything for it? Will you sell everything for it? What is God calling you to sell next? What is your priority? Please pray with me. Oh, Lord God, you have given us through your Son the most amazing treasure imaginable. Through faith in your Son, Lord, you embrace us as your own sons and daughters. You welcome us into your presence with with anything that is burdening our hearts. You love us. You dust us off. You, You wash us clean. You bring healing and strength and new life. You give us purpose and meaning. And you point us 
to the future that we will spend forever with you, Lord. Delighting in your kindness, in your mercy, your grace forever. Lord, I pray, first of all, you would give a powerful understanding of that into our hearts. Lord, that you would fill us with a growing understanding of that treasure, of what we really have in your kingdom. And as you build that understanding into our hearts, Lord, I pray that you would open us to letting go of the things that we have been grasping onto that keep us from more richly enjoying your kingdom. Father God, hear us now as we lay before you those things that we have been holding onto but need to let go, the, treasure, the, the, the earthly treasures we need to sell in order to embrace your treasure. Lord, hear our confession Father God, forgive us for those things that we have grasped onto, those those poor imitations of the real treasure that we cling to for security or comfort or, or a sense that it gives us something that we might be lacking, Lord, for in truth we lack nothing in you. So, Lord, forgive us and strengthen us to let go. Lord God, move in our hearts to free us to sell those things, the time, the energy, the possessions, the career, the dreams, the plans, the things that we think are ours, to sell them for the greatest treasure imaginable. Father God, we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue to worship in song, I want to extend an invitation that if you have recognized the things that you need to sell, to respond to that. If you have recognized that you need to embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to enter into this kingdom, as we worship in song, I invite you to come forward and share that decision with myself or Pastor Neil. <coughs> if there is a commitment you need to make to reorder your life, to, to serve in a different way, to pursue a different kind of calling, we invite you to just come and share that and pray with us and let us pray with you as we worship. <coughs> And if you have come to realize that this is the place God has planted you to do the work of the kingdom, to enjoy the treasure of the kingdom, but to serve and grow the kingdom, and would like to become a member of this church, I would invite you as, you, as we sing to come forward to speak with Pastor Neil and myself. Please let us worship.